So we just want to celebrate with you today. Congrats, man. Congrats. Congrats. Pastor Sam proposed this past week. And uh, his day off is on Monday. I'm going to share the story. Uh, his day off is on Monday. And I never see him on Mondays. But this Monday, I was in my office. And he came in. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, I just forgot my iPad. Just was picking up my iPad. And I said, you have a good day. And he said, he turned to me and said, you have a good day too, brother. And he left. And I said, what's he going to do? Sure enough, he was on his way to make the announcements. And so there's a reason why he was so chipper that day. So make sure you do stop by and uh, wish him the best. And, and we're excited for him. And so we're, and we're excited for when the day comes. And we'll celebrate more uh, in the coming months. All right. Well, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Come on, you can do better than that. He is risen. He is risen there we go. There we go. Well, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter, we're going to start Luke chapter 23, verse 50, and we're going to read to Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 12. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandments. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the man said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna the, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now if you were to try to write a story the greatest story ever told, there's not a chance that you would do it the way the gospel writers told the story of Jesus. There's no way that you would take the Marin character of your story and have him die only to unexpectedly rise from the dead. And it's not as if heroes in stories haven't died before. You probably remember in the movie Titanic, Jack, good old Jack, 
giving his spot on that piece of driftwood to dear Rose, even though I'm kind of still convinced that there was enough room on that piece of driftwood for both of them. There was room, wasn't there? It's just that heroes don't normally rise from the dead in stories. I mean, imagine if Rose on that piece of driftwood long after Jack has fallen into the sea is rescued by that lifeboat and there she gets in the lifeboat and there's Jack sitting there on the seat with the oar in his hands. You know, she would be perplexed. She would be shocked. She would be confused. You know, there's a reason why in stories, heroes don't rise from the dead. I mean, if you wanted to turn Jesus into a folk legend, or if you wanted Jesus and his teachings and to turn them into a religion so people would follow it, you wouldn't do it the way they did it. You wouldn't, you, what you would do is you would make him a good teacher, or you would turn him into an inspiring figure in history. But you wouldn't have him rise from the dead. Why? Because nobody would buy it. Nobody would buy it. Nobody would buy that a Jewish carpenter who just more than just a day ago was crucified by the Romans. And if there was anything the Romans were good at, it was crucifying people. It was sort of their MO. Everyone saw Jesus die, mind you. The disciples saw it happen. The religious leaders saw it happen. You know, the Roman centurions saw it happen. Jesus' own mother saw it happen. They saw him be crucified, die, and be buried in a tomb that was generously donated by Joseph of Arimathea, a respectable member of the Sanhedrin. They saw it all. They saw the stone that would rolled into place to seal the tomb. They saw the guards standing watch to ensure no funny business went down with the body. There was nothing in the story of Jesus to suggest that a resurrection was on the minds of anyone, that anyone expected Jesus to do what he did. Yet on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, that's why we gather on Sundays, Resurrection Sunday, the day Jesus rose from the dead, the women went to visit the tomb, bringing with them spices and ointment to treat the body. Why the women? I don't know. I know the men were in hiding. Someone had to do it. And there was no thought in their head of what if, if there was any thought whatsoever that Jesus might not be there but be risen, why bring the ointments? Why bring the spices? There was no thought, there was no preconceived notion that he might have done this. So when they arrived, he just simply wasn't there. The body was missing. The body was gone. The stone was rolled away. The guards were not there. They had run away, fled, probably out of fear for their lives because they knew what was awaiting their fate. Did someone do this? Did somebody steal the body? Did they go to the wrong tomb? And there stood two angels. And two was a very necessary number in Jewish custom because you needed two in order to verify a testimony. For the evidence to be considered valid, you needed that number two. And there, two angels asked those women, what are you doing here? What's your business? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And if seeing the empty tomb wasn't enough, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 24, in fact, all the gospel writers tell us in different ways how Jesus would make himself known to his own disciples that they didn't just see the empty tomb, but they saw the resurrected Savior with their own eyes. 
Luke will later tell us in Acts how after Jesus' death, he showed himself to the disciples alive for a period of 40 days. 40 days he made himself known. 40 days he appeared among them speaking about one thing, that is the kingdom of God. For 40 days, Jesus appeared to the the very men and women who had walked away from them. That's the very next story in Luke chapter 24. The two men on the road to Emmaus who were leaving, who were walking away from Jesus, who were dejected. He, he, He appeared to those who had doubted him, those who had rejected him, those who had failed him. And when each and every one of them, as you read, encountered the risen Savior, Everything changed for them. Everything changed. Everything became different. Everything became new. Because everything Jesus said or did, most notably what he accomplished on the cross, was now being realized in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The angel said, don't you remember? Don't you remember what Jesus said? How he would have to be delivered into the hands of sinful men? How he would have to die, but in three days he would rise? And now suddenly it just made sense. That's what he was talking about. Everything they thought was now the collapse of God's saving mission was suddenly, in a moment, turning out to be its most signal victory. You know, Jesus appearing before them alive was more than just the reappearance of a dead person. Well, that alone would be pretty amazing. It was more. It was something greater. It was the reality that God the Father was vindicating his Son. Whose very right to exist was negated by the powers who nailed him to the cross. You crucified him, Peter would later say on the day of Pentecost. You put him to death, but God raised him up, which means that God is right, you are wrong. God would not allow the bitter pain of death to touch him, and no matter how hard death tried, death could not hold him down. The reality of the resurrection changed everything that Easter. For those who witnessed it on that Easter Sunday, it changed everything. And the question that I want to bring to you today on this Easter Sunday is, has the reality of the resurrection changed anything about you? Has it changed anything for you? Has it changed the way you see life? Has it changed the way that you see death? Because if Jesus is indeed alive, it means that we must grapple with the claim of who Jesus said that he was. Jesus said that he was the Son of God, that he was the way, the truth, the life. Nobody goes to the Father. Nobody experiences eternal life except through Jesus. And if Jesus is alive, I can't escape. I cannot just accept him as being a nice person who lived just a long time ago. Or I cannot just accept him as being a moral teacher who taught us how to be good and nice people to one another. No, if Jesus is alive today, we need to come face to face with the claim that he is the only way to the Father. The only way to have eternal life. He is either, to quote the great writer C.S. Lewis, he's either a madman or something worse or he's the son of God. He's either a liar and a lunatic, and we should leave it at that. We should just leave here and go for brunch. Or we have to fall down at his feet and call him Lord. Timothy Keller says it this way, that if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. 
If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. See, the reality of the resurrection means that you can't afford, when it comes to Jesus Christ and who he says that he was, you cannot afford to be different. Because here's the thing, whether or not you think the the resurrection is a reality or not, what cannot be argued here today, what cannot be argued, regardless of what you believe, regardless of your faith background, is whether or not death is an unescapable reality. You might, not, you might be here today and you might think that the resurrection is a reality, but I can guarantee you that you do not disagree with the claim that death is an unescapable reality. You know, death is an unescapable reality, meaning time is the most important and precious commodity we all have, isn't it? You know, once you lose time, you can't get it back. It's the most precious thing that we all have. This time that we have here on earth is a gift and it's limited. We all have a number whether we don't know what it is. It could be tomorrow. It could be 50 years from now. I don't know. And pretty much every single person I ever have ever met on this earth has had to ask the question at some point or will ask the question about what happens to me after I die? You know, what happens when my time on earth is finished? What happens to those who I love after they die and their time on earth is finished? You know, years ago, after one of our Sunday morning services Everyone had left, and, you know, I was just, I had literally just put my backpack on and was just heading out the door, and two men walked in, and I, you know, received them as they came in through the doors and said, you know, service is over, everyone's gone, you know, is there anything I can do to help? And they said, you know, they were looking for a pastor because they had an emergency. And the emergency was that, was that their father was in palliative care, and he was in a coma, and he was approaching the last moments of his life. Death was imminent for their father. And they were wondering if a pastor, they could find a pastor, any pastor, they just went to the nearest church, and if a pastor would come and just pray with the family and pray with, you know, over the father before he passed. You know, when we rushed over to that home, nearby here in Canada, and and I stood there beside the bed of a man who was in his early 60s. It was too early. It was too young, in my opinion. And there beside him were his two sons and their wives who were crying, as you would imagine. And I asked them, I said, what do you want me to pray? You know, what do you want me to say? And they said they, that they're, they don't know what their father believed, but they weren't Christians. They're not very spiritual people, but just something about this said they wanted a pastor to pray because they didn't want this moment with their dad to be the last moment that they shared with him. And as their father laid in that coma, I so badly wanted to say, you know, why didn't you come sooner? I would have loved to have had a conversation with him, to ask him, you know, have you made your peace with God? I don't know what the state of this man's soul is, and I don't know when you're on the other side of a coma. I don't know what you can hear. I don't know if you can understand. I just had to believe, and so I I prayed the words of Jesus in John chapter 11, 25 to 26. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You see, I don't know today where your faith is today. I don't know if you believe in the reality of the resurrection. But what I do want you to know today is as Christians, what informs our view of death is the reality of Jesus' resurrection. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, 12 to 14 says it this way. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. What the author of the letter, whose name is Paul, is arguing is that there's, if there's no such thing as the resurrection, meaning if after you die, that's it, just decomposing, you know, clumps of cells and nothingness awaits you, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. Meaning everything that you believe right now is a mirage, it's a myth, it's a meaningless fairy tale. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, if, it, if the resurrection is not a spiritual reality, then my preaching is pointless today. Now some of you might think it's preaching is pointless, but it has nothing to do with the resurrection. This church service is pointless. Your faith is pointless. Your prayers are pointless. It's all pointless, isn't it? And he keeps going. Paul keeps going. Verse 17 to 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is a joke. You're still stuck in your sins, so good luck with that. Everyone you've ever loved is gone for forever after they die. And if life is all that there is, then Christianity just so happens to be the greatest con job that there ever has been in the history of this planet. But what if it's not? What if it's all true? That Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection. And what if there is life beyond this life and that when we die, it's not the end, but it's just the beginning. Well, then your faith is not futile, is it? That your faith actually serves a greater purpose on this earth and that you're no longer now in your sins because they've actually been forgiven and washed away. And your loved ones can be now be living in the glory of God's presence. And may, maybe, perhaps, God willing, you'll be with them one day. And that if the life that you've lived on this earth has been deeply cruel to you, if it has been unfair, if you have experienced injustice on this earth, well, there's a greater hope for you beyond this life. There's a reward that's awaiting you for your perseverance and your endurance. You see, it all hinges on this one thing. Not that Jesus was a good teacher. Not that he lived a good life. Not even that he died on the cross. But it's that he rose from the dead that makes his death on the cross meaningful. That makes the life that he lived meaningful. That makes his teachings meaningful. Everything hinges on that one fact that he is not in the grave, but he is risen and he is alive forevermore. And so today I just want to ask you the question in love to simply consider whether or not do you believe today that the resurrection is a reality? Not a past tense reality, but a, a reality right now, a spiritual reality. I know for some that's a very difficult question to answer. You know, not every one of us here has had the luxury of growing up you know, in a church like I did. You know, I was grown up in Sunday school, was told every Easter Jesus rose from the dead. And so as I became an adult, it wasn't the biggest leap of faith for me to believe it. 
Some of you didn't grow up that way. Some of you grew up in other religions and other faiths and, and had, were told, you know, your family told you there was another way, another spiritual reality than the one that I'm talking about today. Some of you have great doubts. I get it. You doubt and you struggle to wrap your head around the fact that anyone, someone could even rise from the dead. I mean, wouldn't it be just easier if there was proof? Like good scientific proof. Proof, evidence of the resurrection. Just any sort of evidence at all. I mean, I would probably believe if you just gave me a sliver of good scientific evidence that it's possible. And wouldn't it go a long way to prove the resurrection if Jesus would just appear alive to someone today? That he just appear alive to all of us? And he's like, hey guys, it's true. Everything Patrick Terry's saying, it's true. I'm here, look. But then, then it wouldn't be faith, would it? You know, Jesus said to Thomas, his disciple, who said, I am not going to believe a single thing you guys said. They all, poor Thomas, eh? Like, everyone gets to see Jesus alive, and for some reason, like, he's out doing an errands. They get back, and they're like, you're not going to believe what happened. He's alive. We saw him for ourselves. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to believe until I literally see with my own eyes him before me. And Jesus lovingly does just that. He appears to Thomas, for Thomas. And he shows him the, the holes in his hands and his feet. And he says these words that, you know, you believe because you see. But blessed are those who, who have seen, who have not yet seen and believe. You know, my son sat beside me yesterday morning and asked me the question, Dad, how do you know that Jesus is alive? You know, like in a little seven-year-old way. How do you know that Jesus is alive? It's like, what does he look like? You had all these questions, right? Like, what would he look like? And I said, the only answer I have for you is I know he's alive because he's living in me. That's, that's it. I can't provide, I didn't say all this, like, you don't say that to a seven-year-old, but you, get the, you can't prove the resurrection. The only thing you can do is bear witness to it. The disciples saw with their own eyes that Jesus was alive, and they still couldn't prove to anyone else that he was alive. They bore witness to it. And so that's what I do in faith. I can't explain to you scientifically how someone could rise from the dead. I can't provide evidence of what happened 2,000 years ago. But what I can tell you today is I know who I was before I believed in the reality of the resurrection. And I know who I am today after I believed in the reality of the resurrection. Am I perfect? No. Do I make mistakes? Yes. But am I forgiven? You better believe it. And have I seen God's grace in my life, his provision? And have I seen God do the miraculous? You know it. Not one of us here today who believe can prove it. But we can bear witness to it. And so will you today consider the reality of the resurrection? And not just consider it only in your head. Well, that's important. But consider it today in your heart. Is it true? Do you believe and I'll tell you this today, if your heart, if you've come to a place where today you're willing to grapple with it, you're willing to wrestle with it, you're willing to consider it for it, I want you to know this one last thing. The resurrection is not just a later thing. It's not just something that's awaiting us, you know, down the road. It's not just a down payment on insurance. It's in down, down payment on eternity. It's not just insurance, death insurance for what happens after we die. The beautiful thing about the resurrection is that when the person believes in the resurrection life, in the reality of the resurrection, the resurrection life becomes for them a present reality right there, right then, and right now. Yes, we boast today that the best is still yet to come with God. 
That there's a future spiritual reality awaiting every one of us. And, and in that reality, there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. But for me to share the reality of the resurrection with you today, just and only as a future tense promise, would not be doing full justice to the life that Jesus came to bring each and every one of us. Jesus did not rise from the dead so that you could someday experience his abundant life. He rose from the dead so that the reality of the resurrection could be something that you experienced right now, today. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She's a new creation. The old's passed away. See, the new has come. See, it doesn't say that the, old, that the new will come. It says that the new has come. Because anyone who believes today in the reality of the resurrection, as Paul says, is in Christ. Meaning, to be in Christ means to be baptized into the life of Christ. Which means everything about Christ's life is now your life. If Christ died, that means that you also too have died with Christ. And if Christ has been raised from the dead, that means if you are in Christ, you too will be raised with Christ. Romans 6, 5 says it another way. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is God's promise that he makes to you through his son, Jesus. Since I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me today, you will not die, but you shall live again. And that moment where you begin to live again doesn't happen the moment when you close your eyes for the last time on this earth. It happens at the moment that you first believe. The moment the disciples who walked away from Jesus, who rejected Jesus, who doubted Jesus, who failed Jesus, the moment they began to live again was when they saw the empty tomb and encountered the risen Savior. If you go read the stories, you'll see never once do they go find Jesus. It's always Jesus who goes and he finds them. He's always finding you. He's always welcoming you. He's always seeking you. He's always appearing to you with the hopes that he can and will restore you. Maybe today Jesus has found you walking a lonely road in the opposite direction. Maybe he has found you doubting his promises and denying his existence and falling short of his goodness. But all you have to do today to return to him is believe in him. Believe in who he said he was. Believe in the free gift of salvation that he offers and follow him by obeying his word and love him by developing a relationship with the one who made you, the one who created you in his image, who wants to know you on a personal level. So what is the reality of the resurrection, I ask you today? It is the now and not yet promise that because Jesus, that because of Jesus, we no longer need to fear death because death is no longer the final chapter of our story. But secondly, the reality of the resurrection says, I don't need to fear death, but secondly, I can embrace death. I can embrace it. Not in, a, in a, like a physical, literal death cult sense of embracing death. That's not what I'm saying but an embracing death to my sinful ways, embracing death to my fleshly desires. Jesus calls us taking up your cross. 
He took up his cross and he says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. And so we gladly do it. We deny ourselves. We deny our fleshly desires. We take up our cross knowing that it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Fleming Rutledge once said, I confess the cross because I know the resurrection. I confess the cross. I embrace death because I know what awaits. And I know who Jesus is. He is alive. And he is the resurrection life. So today, will you confess the cross? Will you believe in the resurrection? You know, the story we read at the very beginning, at the very end of the story, has the women coming back and and sharing the news, the report of what they've seen. And everyone else discounts them, doubts them. But it says at the very end, but Peter, who was the one who, before Jesus died, you know, had denied him three times. It says that he got up and he ran to the empty tomb. He ran. He sprinted. Funny enough, in another gospel, John will say that it was John and Peter who ran to the empty tomb. And John likes to note that he beat Peter in the foot race. Just a funny little Bible footnote there for you. But in Luke's gospel, it says, (laughs) it's just so competitive, right? I I won. Peter hears the report of the empty tomb and he gets up and he runs as fast as he can. He's just as fast as he can to get to the empty tomb. And that's my prayer for every one of you here today who are here. I don't know what you believe. I don't know where you've been. I don't know your faith journey. But, but if you hear this news today and you hear it in your heart as good and you believe in the reality of the resurrection, my prayer to you that it wouldn't just produce, a, oh, that's nice. Let's go for lunch. But no, no, an urgency in my spirit to get up and run to go see it for yourself, to experience the good news, the reality of the resurrection for yourself. My prayer today is that if you are someone here who has for a long, long time believed in the resurrection, you've embraced the reality of the resurrection, my prayer today is that you would not leave this place the same, but that there be in you a, a new and awakened sense of wonder for what Jesus has done for you. It says that Peter marveled at what he had saw at the empty tomb. And I pray if you have long believed that there would be a marveling in your spirit today at the beautiful gift that is resurrection life. If you've been struggling with joy lately, you've been struggling to have peace, somehow today you would find a new sense of joy, a new sense of love, a new sense of peace as you behold the empty tomb. He's not there. He's risen. And I pray today is that if you are someone who has not yet fully accepted the reality of the resurrection, I pray that you do not wait. You know, I wish those two boys would have come sooner as their father was nearing death. You don't want to be in a similar place where you're out of time. Don't wait. You might think, well, that's nice. Maybe that's a one-day thing. No, no. Make it a today thing. Don't wait. The beautiful thing today is that no matter how many times we've said no to him before and no matter how many times you say no to him tomorrow, the beautiful thing is that God never gives up on you and that Jesus continues to knock at the door of your heart. No matter how how long you've said no, no matter how much you've rejected him, doubted him, failed him, no matter what you've done, he continues to knock at the door of his heart lovingly and patiently. He stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He doesn't kick the door in. He never will. 
He doesn't pick the lock. He doesn't play Nicky Nicky Nine Door so that he fools you into opening the door and then he runs in. He's like, ha ha, gotcha. He stands there patiently in his love for you, hoping you will one day hear his voice and open the door. And God's word says, the day that you open the door, Jesus says, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. That is the reality of the resurrection. Would you stand to your feet? And let's just pray. And I just want to pray a prayer. If today you are ready to receive, to believe, to accept and and embrace the reality that is the resurrection life today. I just want to invite you just to believe this prayer. As I pray this prayer, just believe it today in your heart. Lord, today we, we behold the empty tomb. We behold it today as a, a historical reality. We behold it today as a spiritual reality of what happens when we all perish on this earth. And today we behold it as a present reality of new life for all who believe in you. And Lord, my prayer today for every person in this room today is that you know, just every one of us, Lord, that there would be a, a belief today, an acceptance in that you are alive, that you did rise from the dead. And I may not be able to prove it, but I can believe in it today in faith. Because I know you're alive because you're speaking to my heart right now. What I am feeling, what I'm sensing, what I'm experiencing is different And I believe it's your voice calling me, knocking on the door of my heart. I pray today that if there's anyone here who hears your voice and hears the knocking on their hearts, they would open the door today and, and let you in today to their hearts where you will live, where you will regenerate them, where you will make them a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Lord, I pray for everyone here today who has long believed. I pray that you would, they would have an awakened sense of wonder and a marveling in their hearts today of, at what you've done, who you are. Lord, let us not leave this place the same. For whenever one encounters the resurrected Jesus and the empty tomb, everything's different. Everything's changed. Everything's new. I pray that we would leave today in the newness. Fill us afresh with your love. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And today as we have come to behold, let us like those women at the, to- at the empty tomb, they came and saw, but that they went and they told. And they proclaimed. And I pray we would do the same. As we come and see today, we beheld the empty tomb. Now we would leave this place and we would go and we would tell of the good news. We would bear witness to the good news of Jesus, of what you've done in us. I pray today, if anyone has prayed this prayer for the first time, that they know that they are completely, you know, their sins have been washed clean, that they are a, <laughs> a child of God, and that new life is now living in them. Springs of living water now flows within them today. We thank you today for the cross and the empty tomb. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.